Jai Guru, everyone. Jai Guru. Jai Guru. Welcome, everybody, to our next episode of Awake the Life of Yogananda Minute by Minute podcast. Today, we have reached minute number 34. And as always, I'm joined by Chris and Priyank. How are you doing today, Chris? The jungle behind you looks so nice. Jungle, yes. Well, don't get too distracted if you see monkeys swinging from the, the bamboo uh, behind me. But yeah, happy to be here. Always, always a pleasure. Never, never a pain. Good to see you guys. Is that bamboo? Is that bamboo in the back? That is bamboo in the background. Yeah, it's lovely, lovely shade of yellow and green. It's nice. uh, pretty awesome. You hear it creaking at night time. Very, very, very nice. Nice. I like the old the old Chinese proverb, right? Be like the bamboo, bend in the wind, but never break. Right? <laughs> well, yeah, I'm glad to hear that because sometimes you think they will break and you're just <laughs> waiting for the moment of something going crashing on your head when you're sleeping. But uh, yeah, beautiful. You don't have them so much in Northern Ireland, but uh, <laughs> very, very sustainable source no. um, for material bamboo. Yeah. Now, now this podcast is going to go on to a level where we're going to discuss what is and what isn't available vegetation-wise in one from one country to the other. <laughs> or let, let me tell you what you can make out of bamboo. Okay? Yeah. <laughs> let me start listening to this. <laughs> Two hours later. Yeah. <laughs> Priyank, how's it going? Very good, thank you. Very tired, but very good. Excellent. So, so we'll have to do your energization. Yeah. Pull the, pull the pranayama in for the, for the podcast break. Yes. Very, very <laughs> fitting, Chris. Very fitting. Because we will talk about this in the episode. So minute number 34, just a quick summary. We see um, a large group of people doing um, energization exercises. You hear Master's voice. He talks about um, electrocuting um, disease in your body, recharging it with life energy. Then we um, have our first appearance of Andrew Newberg, who is a neurologist. We'll talk about him a bit. Then we have uh, Chidananda, who puts the whole thing into context and brings it home and makes a connection with um, Kriya Yoga and the chakras. Um, should we first uh, talk a little bit about um, what does it mean to, or what do you guys feel when Guruji says, you recharge the body, you electrocute disease, um, is that is that something you think of? Um, the first thing I thought of when I heard this was the energization exercises. Um, Priyank, what do you what did you um, think when you heard him say that? I really love that line. You don't have to be afraid of germs if your body is electrified; they'll be electrocuted. Yeah. What that does is so awesome. <laughs> so yeah. like simple, isn't it? I really like it and. I used that uh, technique. I was just using it just now, actually. I was electrifying my tiredness, <laughs> re-energizing myself. I, you might, you, the YouTube viewers may have uh, seen, I said I was tired and Chris reminded me to do energization. So I just did a bit of a mini crash course in energization and I feel better. Yeah, guys. Yeah, go for it, Chris. Do you know, whenever I hear electricity in the body and, you know, your electrifying germs, you know, I'm, I'm seeing somebody, you know, sticking their finger into a plug socket, thinking, oh, this, you know, electricity must be good for me. It's like, def not, not this uh, meaning, but um, it is interesting to think of 
electricity in the body, energizing the body, and that we are some form of electrical beings. You know, we were in our in our podcast um, uh, with Neil Patel. He talked about um, souls and the magnetism of souls. Some interesting bits there uh, to take away uh, to think about. Um, uh, so it makes me again think of the nature of reality and actually what we're conditioned to think about. You know, the material. Uh, contents of our body versus what yoga, uh, how Yogananda talks about the body um, being uh, yeah, charged with electricity and prana and these sort of things, which is much more, um, there's a lot more potential in the way that he speaks, um, which makes me, makes my mind work. Uh, and I wish I had somebody like Yogananda teaching as a child to think about life um, rather than some of the teachers that I had. But, uh, yeah, it's a very thought-provoking, very uh, very awesome statement um, for this minute. Yeah, our body is like a fantastic machine that works um, on all kinds of electricity. Um, and that's pretty fantastic. Like a few hundred years ago, we didn't even know electricity existed, but our bodies must have still used it to function, right? Sri Yukteswar says in the, in the Holy Science that there's like five different uh, kinds of electricity in our body, one um, analog to each of our senses. And I've never really figured out what this really means, but I'm sure our science will catch up with him in due time at some point. All right. And then we, we move on to the next uh, thing. We have Andrew Newberg um, in, uh, in the podcast for the, uh, in the, in the movie for the first time. He's like, a professor, um, a neurologist. He's at the Thomas Jefferson University Hospital in the US on the East Coast, I think somewhere in Pennsylvania. And he's a very interesting guy. So um, when, when I saw him there, I, we all did our research, we Googled him and there's one <clears throat> very interesting TED talk that he does. Um, and he talks about finding our enlightened state and in that podcast, he basically uh, did experiments with people um, who meditate, who, according to him, go into a deep state of meditation. And then he describes those states of meditation and we can, we can go through them one by one. But first, in general, um, Priyan, what did you think about Andrew Newberg when you looked him up? Yeah, so firstly, he's a fascinating individual, isn't he, in terms of his uh field of research and we talked about this topic in the past about the um, you know statistical the objective objective evidence-based approach onto the impact of meditation and he seems to have really grabbed this uh, metaphysical bull by the horns in this in his research through his life so finally like you know that ted talk that you mentioned mike it really goes into the you know the brain scans and everything like that and uh, as we'll talk about that in a second but but the first thing he mentioned in, in this minute he says um he he's talking about the energization techniques that we we just talked about and he and he says um if you everything you do affects your brain by tensing the muscles you're activating your frontal lobes so part of energization as we know is tensing and relaxing of um, muscles, um, and you're gonna. We might as well just briefly talk about that before we talk about um, Andrew New Newberg in, in detail. 
Mike, did you do your energization this morning? I did. Yes. <laughs> I, I thought if there was ever a day where I could do it. <laughs> Chris, did you do your energization this morning? They're having some tech some technical problems here. Let me, <laughs> You're doing them right now. Back to you on that. <laughs> um, interestingly, um, I, I did a bit of research as to when energization was first um, first used by Yogananda or discovered. And really, it's not in any other yoga techniques. This energization um, that, you know, that uh, the science is now being talked about by uh, Dr. Newberg, but it's never before in India actually been used or discovered. Yogananda is is completely, completely on his own in terms of the discovery and the use and the application of these techniques in in into our daily practices. Um, so I personally I do them every day, and um, Phil Phil Goldberg in his um, biography tried to do a bit of research and it's apparently in 1923 there was the first sort of like quasi mention of these techniques and uh, and i think in the autobiography he mentions as yoga the exercises doesn't he the tensing tensing and relaxation but in 1923 he um he was giving uh, uh, like an advert for a satsang and um, he was releasing releasing a book of poetry called um, the songs of the soul and with that, also, there was um, some things when, when, when they were doing that, there were some things sold. The science of religion was sold for a dollar. Psychological chart for self-analysis was sold for 50 cents. And then a 20-page booklet, which is called Yogoda, or Tissue Will System of Physical Perfection, for 10 cents. And that booklet was obviously explains the theory and benefits of the systems that is now called the energization exercises and um, the apparently these instructions were only given to one only given only in person so uh, this was the first mention of energization and it was called i'll repeat yogoda yogoda or tissue will system of physical perfection and it was only 10 cents <laughs> compared to his talk which for science or religion which is obviously famous for a dollar i think uh value for money the 10 cents one surely <laughs> i mean we could talk about science or religion for years but it won't really impact our soul but energization surely i i wonder that um uh for a while already that like when guruji went joined um uh, Sri Yukteswar's ashram, did he do the energization exercises there already? Did he do the Om technique or the Hong Sa technique? Um, because I, I read that, I read that a few times, I read a lesson yesterday briefly and, and there it said that as well, that one of the chief or one of the big achievements of Lahiri Mahashaya was that he took all the teachings of ancient India of the Vedas and of Patanjali and broke them down in a few simple techniques, right? So I was wondering, did was he then referring to Kriya Yoga, the different Kriya Yoga techniques, or was he also talking about the EEs and um, uh, Hong Sa and Om? But I don't know if that's if we will ever know this. Well, yeah. there's, there's other lineages, isn't there? So Yogananda and Self-Realization Fellowship is the principal, you know, lineage that Yukteswar mm -hmm. and. Lady Masha, etc., have 
you know given to the world but there are other Swami Harinanda and there's other groups and mandirs that claim to belong to the same lineage so it'll be interesting to hear from those devotees there you can perhaps tell us if the if anitization is in those techniques for example or monks or etc there's um, a, a mess uh, a note here i'm just reading the autobiography of a yogi when you guys are talking uh, and um page 100 101 um young is not well and he is speaking with Sri Yukteswar um, and Sri Yukteswar was saying to him, please do the stomach exercise I've taught you. And that is hoping to heal his illness at the time. So I just wonder, you know, the stomach exercise, we have um, one in particular, um, but will be a couple through the lessons to, to do this sort of thing. So I imagine it is probably something similar. Yeah, so in energization, there are two or three um, exercises that are from Hatha Yoga, but um, mm. uh, like that uh, rotation of the stomach, that's a common one. Um, but mm. that may not have been the one that Surakdeshwar was talking about. We don't, we obviously don't know. But um, yeah, but no, but the, 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 print, the, the whole body of the work and the way that the scientific explanation of the movement of prana into the different limbs and muscles, etc., is um, completely unique in my literary research but um tai chi it's like a few thousand year old tradition movement it's very slow methodical i, I haven't done it have you done it no but I, I thought it's maybe similar to to sense because they talk about you know prana the um chi the, the energy um coming through the body and you're they're, they're motioning this energy through the body and i, I would suspect that's something similar but i don't know if they tense the body like uh yogananda talks about you know tensing the body charging the body but um, um, i think it's more of a flow movement yeah but if you go to that level then other hatha yogas and asanas it was also on the same level same. because yeah it's uh, obviously directing directing energy and breath and all that to the different mm. uh, focus points yeah, they're, they're probably all related to an ancient to ancient techniques about life force control that existed thousands of years ago and those are probably the remainders mm. and, um, yeah. with our cool. with our very material understanding of today and during the kali yuga we probably focus mostly on the movement and not so much on energy and stuff because that was mm -hmm. a concept that was hard to convey in those times it's only recently that that we regained the vocabulary for it well and, apart from in the secret schools of of uh spiritual teachings probably had to be underground um mm -hmm. these mystical schools that oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. talked about them right you know these oh, yeah, niche yeah. groups they would have known yeah. about it no, what, what is sorry for asking a stupid question what is energy question mm. for me energy is life force what is, is life, life force? force life force that uh is emanating from the creative uh, it's the creative um source of the universe you know when, whenever i think about it i think of it like the origins like we talk about you know the universe that in the bible first the verse is the word and the word was with god and god was the word or something along that line so the OM, the original vibrational 
tone. Um, this is, you know, propelled throughout the, the universe. It's a question I can't answer, but that's like my, <laughs> it's like this fundamental un underlying creative force. Um, I don't know, is, it, is probably the correct answer. <laughs> Mike. Very, very difficult to answer. I, because energy is of, oftentimes one of the building blocks when I want to explain something else, I usually use it as a part of, it's a kind of energy or something. But energy itself is, maybe you can say it is, um, it is like you used first your willpower, right? And your willpower then turns, um, I don't know what it turns into energy, but it, create, but it creates a, a kind of momentum to make something happen. And maybe you can call that energy. But that's, I don't think that's a very good explanation. You, you might have multiple layers of what we consider energy to be. Um, yeah. And it can be finer and finer in terms of your definition. Mm. Um, so energy in the body, you know, you might think of, you know, the sugar, the, you know, um, various aspects uh, there and then electricity and, you know, the finer, as, as it goes, goes finer and finer. You know, we had to talk about life trons, right? And that yeah. isn't something that, you know, we obviously talk about in this day and age, but uh, what's, yeah. yeah, like what is an atom and what is, you know, but, uh, yeah. But it's so amazing that we kind of say energy and everyone has an idea of what it is now. And <laughs> hundreds of years ago, you would say it and nobody knew what it was. So, so that's kind of, that's kind of, shows that our evolution is coming along. Hmm. I don't think most people think about it as like, if you, you would say, like Brian said, he's tired, maybe he has no energy. And that's usually like, oh, I just need to drink like an energy drink or, you know, <laughs> I need to, you know, something along those lines, which is like a substance. Uh, but I think we're talking about it in more fundamental aspects. Do, so do you have context. a context? Do you have a good answer, Priyank, for what is energy? He's an engineer. And, <laughs> I think I think some. <laughs> well, if the engineering answer is oh, it's a unit of measure for joule, <laughs> the unit yeah. of the unit e of equals energy. mc squared. <laughs> no, the uh, uh, <laughs> no, no, the, the principle of energy. That's a different uh, thing. But the, the, oh, the, the fundamental is joule. You know, a joule is a unit of energy, and a joule is the amount of work done in any you know movement etc so that's, that's a really basic physics-y answer but here we're talking about energy in a, a much a much deeper much much deeper way aren't we? we're talking about creation and the source and meaning and you know how, how we connect to it in our meditation and how we use it and you know in a, in, a, in a way that's not just for example moving an object from a to b but uh, actually raising our life energy so mm. you know and we're doing that mentally, you know, if that's if that's even possible. And that this obviously relates a little bit to um, what the TED talk on Andrew, Andrew Newberg talks about. But I think this is this is something that's best not answered through words, because um, you you know we 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 would all struggle to define what energy is, um, but we know, don't we? Inside, we know that what is and what is an energy what the impact of being energized is um what the impact of being low on energy and moving our energy away from sense senses you know we experience these when we practice the technique so 
in in our heart we know what energy is but when you put anything or the deepest the deepest concepts in 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 the world when you put them into words it doesn't do justice is it that's why poetry is such a powerful and potent tool because in poetry you can describe something that is not in you know it's not logical it's not something that's easily logically understood it's much more subtle you know sorry like um just in case we change subject i wanted to say there's a couple things um that come to mind and uh, one is the story of yogananda uh where he was um you know he'd been working or traveling and, and um, correct me on the details of the story uh, uh, over a course of time. And he still had to wait for other guests to arrive as to where he was. And they arrived quite late because they were, they were delayed. So they arrived in the middle of the night or something and being a good good host, he still got up and made them food. And I think Sri Tishwar, somebody was there um, butchering the story, but the moral of the story is that, you know, he really got up um, even though he probably was exhausted. Uh, and um, managed to put on a full spread of you know food for his for his guests, and he was then said, look, you know, I think it was Sri Akshar said, you're you're never going to be um, kind of hassled by the by the having lack of energy or something like this. You know, you're 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 always going to have it. That's actually, I think about that story a lot. You know, um, it's on my mind. Like, what is it really something we can simply break away from? You know, and Obviously, Yogananda is extremely advanced, but I often think about it in moments of being tired. But you know, can I can I just like get over this by now? Because um, you know how how great a willpower mu must you have to be able to break away from such a bodily um, uh, consequence? I guess of using your uh, you know doing actions and thinking and uh, using up your energy. Um, I feel like I feel like it gets easier. Like like Guruji often says that, like um, taking on the the bodily inertia full on is very difficult. It becomes easier if you if you elevate your consciousness. The more you, the less you think you are the body, the easier it becomes to to um, break all those habits and all those chains of of being in the flesh. He, like he says sometimes that that like it's easier for children, for example to um to overcome um those kind of habits because they are not yet as much in the flesh as as like an adult that is constantly nervous and so i i feel like that's kind of one of the keys if you if you try cold turkey now to do everything perfectly and always go against all your bad habits then you will probably lose but you have to gradually elevate the consciousness i think You'll, you'll end up mangled underneath the uh, <laughs> carriages put in the uh, the Bhagavad Gita uh, when you try to fight the senses head, head on you end up just getting crushed <laughs> you just end up like a mangled mess after after the course of life is uh, taking its toll but the, the, I think on a similar note you know my, my other thought was how much endless energy do you have for the things that you're uh, excited about or really enthused with you kind of have endless energy for it because you, you know um it must be some kind of magnetism it, it just draws that energy in naturally versus you know if you're stuck or labored with some task that you really could not be bothered to do um I, and it's just the time drags doesn't it time drags you have low energy for it you know we probably all experience that in some way um uh, so you know it's interesting that relationship between 
interest and your if your awareness is fully given to something uh you're concentrating on something time flies and you always have tons of energy versus you know your mind's wandering you're not focused or attention your attention is not on something and the time drags and you have low your your low energy so something to that right being in the flow of life having energy etc cetera, etc cetera. absolutely I, I i think so too um and um that i feel like guruji he he talks about this like oftentimes like being in a problem in his own life especially in his youth right that he like like you said that one story where he overcame fatigue but also especially in the beginning of the autobiography he talks about a lot of the little habits that kept holding him back and stuff and how he overcame them one by one and i feel like that's kind of for us relatable right that we have to he's he's basically the arjuna of the autobiography of a yogi where he like uh, shows us how to get out of uh, this kind of world of creation um what do you guys think should we start dissecting this uh, ted talk by andrew newberg um yeah i think we definitely should um definitely the, the, the sorry I, I kind of changed the subject when you asked me that question but i think it was all very relevant to everything oh, yeah, he talked yeah. about he talked about and i think something um something pretty cool about uh, about his uh, definition of um, enlightenment mike do you do you remember what it was it wasn't it wasn't a basic thing no, I, I actually don't know. So he was, he was kind of saying that um, the, the experience of enlightenment is different. Uh, it's not just uh, the spiritual one that we you know, speak of as, as Buddha. It's, a, it's an experience that you can have in scientific uh, research. And it's an experience you can have when you have a state of infinite doubt. Um, so he talks about it in many different um, contexts. And then he talks about like the feeling the the characteristics of uh, enlightenment so for example he talks about um people that are in this state he's actually like you know put probes in probes in them um and uh you know we have to obviously uh, take this with a pinch of salt because um uh we we don't have many people that are self-realized beings that, that especially not that he would have access to in in his research but he can certainly talk about um do some measurements and he said um w when people are in these states um there's there's few different parameters that uh, really show up heavily for example intensity clarity of feeling um unity uh, you know that feeling of underlying unity and that feeling of surrender so he, he talks about all of these and then he talks about um he, he does he actually analyzes brain scans is that right mike yeah so he takes those um, those kind of um I, I would say experiences that you just met, uh, mentioned and then he underlies each of them with a brain scan and an area of the brain that he finds is relevant and how it affects that area of the brain. And that is so interesting. And the first one you said is intensity. And I, I, I'm going to talk about myself now. So when I meditate, I oftentimes, when it, when it goes really well, I feel a, a sense of peace and I feel a, a sense of um, kind of um I, I just wouldn't call it intensity so he there has like one person that he interviewed and he says for him it it is like taking an infinite roller coaster of white light 
which mm. sounds amazing. You know, when you go down a roller coaster and there's this feeling of, of um, no gravity, right? And, and you have this for infinity and you fall into a white light like this. It, it sounds like an amazing experience. I haven't experienced this so far, but I'm looking forward to it, definitely. Um, and he says that there is one um, part of the brain where that lights up when you experience strong emotion, any kind of emotion really. And he says that uh, this, in, this um, signifies intensity and that lights up during a state of, during an enlightened state. And I find that, I find that fascinating. Um, so Chris, have you experienced this yet? Uh, all I can say is I think uh, the general practice is don't talk about your experience <laughs> uh, because uh, I think it might influence other people's little monkey mind. And, and, can you can uh, you talk about uh, your lack? Can you talk about your lack of experiences? Like, like all, I all day, all day. <laughs> <laughs> we don't have time. We don't have time for it. Uh, uh, you know, I, I, I think you know this. It's a very interesting subject. Obviously, you know, we could talk about it all day, but. Um, uh, we talked about this, I think, the last time, you know, um, with Neil Patel, uh, having experience, or no, before that, actually, uh, maybe in, in the last minute, having an experience uh, that's very significant early on in your meditative, um, I almost want to say career, but I'm still too business-minded, that's, that's the problem. Um, whenever you start to meditate, you know, you get into it and you kind of get this glimpse, like a real beautiful glimpse of, like you said, you know, sensations of peace, strength, tranquility, maybe experience something. And then it, it's not pulled away from you, but you've got to work really hard to keep it going. Um, you, you know, there's probably an endless amount of experiences out there that, you know, an endless amount of people have had. This sounds in particular quite, um, uh, you know, um, uh, thought provoking to have a roller coaster of a white light. Um, Yogananda talks about white light descending um, on you as opposed to a roller coaster. So um, maybe the person's mixing this with emotions, if something's happen happening there. Um, but no, I can't say I've personally had a roller coaster of white light experience. Priyanka, are you riding the white light roller coaster? <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> But uh, it's been a beautiful journey, and the roller coaster is usually uh, a fleeting experience, isn't it? Whereas, a what I think is is more significant is the this difficult to describe. It's if if you can sustain that roller coaster and actually um, get over the thrill and the joy and just enjoy the calm state. You know, the bit of the roller coaster that's flat. It's not like you don't leave your stomach off at the top as you usually do, you know, when you're going at 10 Gs or whatever the acceleration is. <laughs> yeah, because it's easy when, when you're in that state, it's easy to become, you know, ecstatic and overjoyed. But can you do it when there's nothing happening? You know, life's just ticking along and doing all the things you have to do in your life. Absolutely. Uh, Yogananda talks about the different songs with the different chakras. I'm not sure how much detail is in the public sphere about this, but um, the ocean noise of the top chakra um, is, it can be quite intimidating uh, from what I hear. Uh, and the idea there is like, well, you know, there's, there's a transition phase to, as you said, Priyanka, beyond 
um, that I've heard other people talk about to say that they get scared when these things happen and they get too analytical about what's happening rather than the surrendering of allowing the experience to kind of go beyond you know the initial as you said excitement i 100 agree with you there i've heard other people say like in particular with the, this noise of the ocean it's quite overpowering at times and overwhelming um so you know if anybody's listening and has is having these experience experiences um yeah, right. Yeah, talk to us. We want to go. The 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 one thing that I I heard here, but also in many other um, cases, um, oftentimes in relation to near death experiences, is that they experience it as more real than regular life, which I find fascinating. So they experience something there in their everyday life and it's like in an internal process, but they, for them, it's more real than our life. And that points to that whole notion that our material life is a dream, right? And when we wake up for, from this on the next level, we feel something is more real. Find that fascinating. I heard something funny about this. I'll share. I'll share. Just kind of caveat these some of these concepts that we're talking about because I think there is like some very real elements as we all have faith. I think fundamentally that you know this is true, even though we may not have had some direct experience with it um, uh, beyond the material world. That is, um, there are people that talk about near death experiences on operating tables quite often. Uh, and often you would say, um, they, they would say, I saw the light, you know, I, I was kind of going towards the light and this idea of this descending light. Um, and the the uh, kind of uh, retort to this is on an operating table, the one thing that you have is a very bright, big light over the person's body, like shining on them. So the, the, the idea is that, well, of course you're going to see a light because there's a big bright light <laughs> over your head uh, and so so apparently once well, i don't know if all you know all operating tables do this i guess not operating theaters but they put a note above the light to say that if you can read this <laughs> you know if you're having an out-of-body experience and you're looking down on your body you, you there's a note to just kind of say something there so that they can re report back on it um so yeah, there's there's obviously lots of like it's a very muddy, murky kind of space when you talk about out of body experiences and seeing lights and it's very skeptic, skeptical kind of space. But there's a lot of beautiful stories out there as well. Pretty, a lot, pretty awesome stories. There is um a show on on Netflix at the moment. I I, I forgot what it's called. Something about out of body experiences. I only watched the first episode, but it's it's very interesting. That there, there was like um a person in Switzerland who in the 1800s, who was a, a rock climber. And he, um, he uh, fell off a mountain at some point and was um, in, a, in a kind of deathless state or not, I wouldn't say not deathless, what, what is it called? In a kind of um, limbo. limbo. Yeah, limbo for a while. And he said he left his body and he saw himself, but then eventually he went back into the body and woke up. And um, he then asked other people who, and he noticed that there were other people 
who were also climbing mountains who had similar experiences because apparently it's a dangerous thing. And so he wrote them all down in a book. Um, and to this day, there's so many accounts of people leaving their body in, in, in at certain times. And still, we don't believe it, right? Like the, 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 the scientific consensus is they're all hallucinating. They're all having some weird um, dreams, even though it's, in my opinion, pretty clear that this is kind of the proof that we are not the body. We are, I mean, we're also not the astral body, but at least we leave the body as our astral body. We see other people and, and it's very um, comforting to hear that they all tell a similar story, right? And we have a story from so many sources and still at the moment we choose to not to believe it. What do you guys make of that? I, I do I do find this subject very interesting. All I can say is I read a book and I'm trying to think desperately of the name. I can't, but um, maybe some of the readers may have read this book as well by a lady who was, I think, British, Chinese. She was born and raised in Hong Kong. Um, she ended up getting cancer, riddled all of her body very, very bad. And she died in, in hospital. Um, and uh, she had this out of body experience and she was able to come back. Uh, she cured herself of cancer. Um, her, her body miraculously recovered. Um, and then, sorry, I, I'm, everybody's frozen. So I don't know if my internet connection's dropped. No, hasn't. I think so. No, you're good. Oh, my internet connection went there. Sorry, I was saying the, the lady had this out of body experience. She was able to say that she saw her brother on a plane flying over to see her when nobody else knew that he was on the plane. She was able to say that there was a conversation out of the room down the hall and in another room of her husband speaking to the doctor. And she was able to re recall the conversation. Uh, as well as conversations in the room and a couple other things or something. And so it was this pretty undeniably insane kind of, kind of uh, story to be able to recount things, um, she, you know, uh, and that really kind of changed my perspective on it. And she goes around giving talks on, on, uh, on her experience and things like this. Um, so yeah, there's really interesting stories out there that are very, very difficult or impossible to deny. Um, and I, I suppose there's only going to be more and more of these stories confirming your belief. Brian, do you have anything on the subject? Yeah, I have this, um, I don't know, it's just this experience in the back of my mind of, of seeing things from like a bird's eye view. And it, it kind of describes what people see, you know, what you just described about the operating theater and coming out and, looking down is this there's just this um this this underlying uh, probably not making any sense is this underlying feeling of like like the, the deeper i look then i'm seeing further and further away from myself as if, if as, as it were and i think you can you, you don't need to wait for what i'm trying to suggest is you don't need to wait for a near-death experience or an operating theater to experience that unity or that broaden your field of view or your horizon you can do it yourself in through your own practices and it's i think to it actually it, it will come pretty naturally if you just deepen your practices um, 
You're going maybe, maybe Frank, this is why you're so tired. You're too busy flying, <laughs> flying around your ass before. Flying around. <laughs> and it may, it may well be, a, it may well have been a, like a recurring dream that I have. And hence I like, um, can feel this in the back of my conscience or consciousness, but I, yeah. I don't know where it's from, but it's, uh, it's there. Can I just, sorry, add one more thing that I heard that I thought was interesting and similar sort of um, frame. The sad, Sadhguru, again, referring to our dear friend Sadhguru, was talking about um, people talk, you know, referring to astral travel, you know, and, and all this, this idea about astral travel, which is kind of what we're talking about here, I guess. Um, and he sort of said most of it's just imagination. Most of it is just that overactive minds and you're simply needing to ground yourself more, et cetera, et cetera. Um, because the actual act of astral travel requires so much energy and consolidated effort. It really takes somebody quite advanced to do it, but yet mm. you see thousands of these stories popping up. And, you know, I think he's, he was saying, like, like, most of them don't really hold much water, but there are, it is true, you know, you can do this, but it, it requires so much effort and energy that it's an inefficient thing to do unless you really kind of need to, you know, um, mastery over the cities and things like this. So, so you kind of take somebody who's very advanced and it's not very efficient, um, even if you were able to do it. Uh, so yeah, I, can, I kind of have a bit more of a grounded perspective of it. No, I haven't heard that because hmm. you don't really know what to believe. And I believe it a lot more that, you know, there's just a lot of people out there with overactive imaginations. Hmm. Could be. Cool. So that was the, the first experience that people had. Um, that was intensity. The second one was clarity. I'm getting distracted by this cat. This is Ying. He also has a brother called Yang. Clarity was, so the way he describes it is there is one part, part of the brain that is responsible for constructing the reality as we perceive it basically our idea of Maya, right? And he says, clarity means that this um, area becomes less active. So basically our brain deconstructs the, our perception of reality and hence we feel clarity. That's another beautiful thought. And I love how he underlines this with like scientific jargon and also the brain scans. What did you think about that Priyank when you saw that? Yeah, pretty deep stuff, isn't it? I, I love how he's able to talk about these mm -hmm. concepts without bringing any like yoga or spirituality. It's just, it, mm -hmm. it feels like it's just uh, one branch of scientific study that is like obvious and you'd naturally be doing it. But it's what he, this, the way the language he's using and the concepts he's talking about are really profound, aren't they? And he's unique in his in his delivery. That's unique in the scientific community how he's talking about it. So no wonder he's in the awake film. Mm. There's another guy called Dr. Joe Dispenza. Um, super guy got a book called Becoming Supernatural, and he does you know deep studies into this as well. I think Mike, maybe you know you know a little bit about this guy, but it's. Um, Fascinating and inspiring to see this language coming into uh, the spiritual context. Whenever I Googled his name, by the way, um, 
uh, I saw that uh, people also ask, what is spiritual neuroscience? And it's the neuroscience of religion, also known as neurotheology. And as spiritual neuroscience attempts to explain religious experience and behavior in neuroscientific terms. So it's a, a new-ish thing, I suppose, and um, something that's going to get more and more attention and more and more investment over the coming years. So it's going to really take off. So it's, it's really, really cool to see. But it did make me think, I wonder, can these guys, um, uh, how would you say, induce a spiritual experience, you know, through, through electro, you know, electro um, transmitters of sorts, you know, can, can they actually induce the experience? That would be cool, right? <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I, have my, I have my doubts, but <laughs> I mean, <laughs> <laughs> can they hack? Can they hack meditation? Med meditation. Yeah. Hack me in there. Yes. <laughs> All you have to do is kind of hook yourself up to electrodes, and you just, you just off you, you go. Pay for it, and then you go. Into if, if they, the, even if they could, you'd be a brave person to drill, yes. wouldn't you? Because you wouldn't know what the impact, long, medium, long term impact would be. I was more yeah. thinking about karma. You know, maybe. Oh, that's you know, another thing. Yeah. Why do you mess yeah. with something that maybe karmically you're going to get Cause, slammed cause, back on? Because generally any shortcut in life is usually a, ends up being a long cut, doesn't it? That's yeah. what I, I, it would probably be akin to like a drug or something, right? Where yeah. you where you become yeah. addicted to it or whatnot. Yeah, yeah, hundred um, percent. But uh, yeah, really, really interesting to see this um, uh, these terms used, and whenever. Uh, we, we, you know, you practice meditation, you can relate to everything that I say, and right? It's like, oh, okay, so that's how that works. And there's a biochemical reaction happening during meditation that helps explain. I've heard it actually talk about in terms of um, the beta, theta um, brainwave signals, right? So you drop into the brainwave, um, what's the lowest one? I think beta or something. Um, and that is when you go into the zone. And that, you know, meditation, the longer you can stick in that zone, the concentration, the, the longer your meditation, that's, you know, but you can really quite clearly see the drops in other studies I've, I've uh, uh, read. Um, so yeah, it's a super, super exciting time. I wonder if, if when Andrew's meditating, all he's doing is looking forward to the results or the scans <laughs> as opposed to the, like enjoying the meditation. <laughs> that's why the, emo the emotions are flaring. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'll get like a meditation report afterwards. <laughs> well, today is the eighty-nine percent accuracy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what, what he said, and Frank, you read this out earlier about you know, was it tensing the body, doing energization techniques, uh, stimulates the frontal lobe, that um, reduces stress and anxiety, and it relaxes, um, relaxes you. Uh, it's interesting because that's what people say meditation does for them. Oh, I meditate, uh, it relaxes me, it does, you know, mm -hmm. does these things. Um, so I guess you've been, since then, wouldn't need the energization exercises to be, to have that similar reaction. But um, yeah, uh, it, it's good to see the stepping stones are there for most people. You know, they can at least experience that first level of relaxation and stress reduce. Um, so it's good to see that at least is accessible. 
So, so now we have intensity, clarity. The third experience was unity. And he, he just um, underlies this again. He says there's an, a, a part of the brain that is responsible for the construct of ourselves, how we perceive ourselves as ourselves. You could maybe call it like our identification with the body, right? And he says that becomes less active and you feel a sense of unity. Again, amazing. I, I found this... I found this, I, I love how this um, corresponds with um, the things we hear from Guruji in such, in so many different ways. And this is, like, I, this is like um, uh, affirming kind of what we thought all along, but in a scientific way. So that's why I love it. Yeah, Hong So, I mean, th 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 this, um, this technique is uh, used, you know, in many, many forms and I know again Sadhguru is using I'm not the body I'm not the mind breathing techniques pranayama um, which is kind of similar to what we do with Hong Sa um, uh, breathing breath out and um, yeah it's it, it's funny actually I did this with my fiance's dad and he was kind of saying well why would you want to say that you're not the body and not the mind like, why do you see yourself as detached surely that's an insult to creation itself but um, uh, I, I, I find that perspective in, interesting because uh, we're certainly taught that these are simply different in SRF and that whenever you see them as different, you can detach and observe the effects of them. Um, so yeah, the, the yeah. problem is not, um, <clears throat> it's not that, it's, it's that, that you see yourself as you're only this body or you're only yeah. this mind. That's the... Um, bigger problem isn't it and that's what uh, that is that is it's that's actually the insulting part isn't it because then yeah. you limit then you limit your ability to uh, call some person on the street your brother because no that's his body my body is <laughs> here that's his mind my body's mine you know and similarly like if you know sending out good vibrations of peace and you know collective you know people say like um group meditations are good because like they you know they focus everyone's efforts and like there's there's support everyone helps each other so it's like it almost becomes like a collective mind but, but if you were like you know i am this is my mind and i'm only this mind then that possibility is not there for you is it yeah no absolutely and the, the idea, the underlying idea that we are all one is like a theoretical concept unless un, until you hear that actually there is a part of the brain that kind of is also in charge of telling you that you are the body. And if you make it less active, then you feel a sense of unity. Mm. Um, <clears throat> what, is what does Hong So mean, Chris? I am, I think. Is it? Um, I am he. I'm he. Oh, okay. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Oh, sorry. <laughs> the, the, the father. The father. Sorry, Greg. Don't you go first. I'm going to go off topic slightly. <laughs> yeah. So, slightly. so it was Isha Kriya is what you just described as. I'm not the body, and I'm not the mind. And if you're yeah. not either of those things, then clearly you are that which is the divinity. But Sadhguru and other actually Sadhguru is pretty unique. Actually, he doesn't talk about any. Um, deity or god really he only talks mm. about things in logical deductive terms so yogananda talks directly about god and he says i am he i'm 
God um, is, is the is the mantra or in Sadhguru's terms he doesn't want to say that but so he'll say what you're not I am not the body I am not the mind but what's left that's yeah. the, that's what's left right you're you can only be a part of that internet divinity yeah. very true yeah didn't think about it like that um the um I think I was going to say Mike actually you, you mentioned there um uh about the unity and uh, the recognition I'm sorry I think I'm breaking up with my internet connection and um, the monkeys must be playing with the writer again no <laughs> monkeys um is uh edward schrodinger i think is the to be the father of um quantum mechanics he said um concluded rather that all minds are one uh and that was really significant in the world of you know western science um to say that well where what is the mind stuff uh, well, all minds are it's actually coming from one source. Um, so all thoughts come from one source, ultimately. Uh, and that sort of pointed towards this unity uh, of, of mind, in, in a sense. Yeah, Erwin Schrodinger, Austrian guy. Yeah. <laughs> you really Most famous for his cat. Yeah, do you remember, do you remember Schrodinger's cat? <laughs> yeah. No. Why? What does he have a Mike? Cat describe like describe sharding a cat, Mike. I can't. I can't describe it very well. It's like the the cat with in a box or something, and it's at the same time in the box and not in the box or something. Right? No, no. So I think what it is like. Um, uh, so you have a you have a box and you put a cat. So um, Chris, take Ying and get a yeah. box. Get an Amazon box. Just use Amazon box. Yeah. Other and boxes then, are available. Yeah, okay. Any other box? A bamboo box will do as well. So get one of those boxes. Come on, let's see you do it. We can we can do this experiment. <laughs> no, I, he's, I promise, he, he, he liked it. I, I promise Ying didn't. I promise Ying won't get hurt, but your brain may your your mind may get hurt. <laughs> anyway, so what happens is say we had Ying and we put put Ying in a box and we put a vial of poison also in that box. Yeah. Now this. now so for the observer who's outside the box, we don't know what's gone on inside the box. So the cat could have broken that vial of poison and therefore be dead, or he may not have broken that vial of poison and may be alive. So to the observer, both statements are true. <laughs> he can either be dead or be, be alive. We don't know. So, so then he yeah. deduced that equally, he can be both dead and alive. <laughs> Yeah, he, suppose, in some, some so, yeah. cross, there's a pretty cross explanation of that. Yeah, Probably a really deep concept. He used that to explain quantum superposition or something like that, right? That's right, yeah. yeah. Okay, so just because you can't see what's happening means that anything could happen? Both states, both, both states, states are equally true. Can, yeah, okay. be, can be equally true. Anyway, let's 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 move on before we blow <laughs> blow my. We'll talk, we'll talk about this for half an hour. <laughs> yeah, like it's actually pretty good because similar to quantum mechanics, like um, one of the good qualities is to surrender, right? Um, and that is the fourth quality that he mentioned, um, surrender. And there is also like Guruji tells us, the part behind the forehead um, of the brain is like the center of willpower. 
And so also Andrew Newberg says that is the part that lights up when you um, use your will to do something. To, and in this um, meditative enlightened state, it's the opposite. This part becomes less active and you surrender to it, which again, it's like a confirmation, like all those, all those four states and the brain scans, they kind of confirm what I was expecting to happen in our brains while, while we are meditating. And I've, I, I kind of find that very reassuring. Yeah, thou art fear, not I. So, so, so that's kind of what surrender means to me, right? It's like the recognition that, you know, you're, you're essentially the, the witness to the doing in some ways, and you know, you use your will to kind of choose the doing. Um, yeah, uh, it's 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 one that actually the surrendering from a personal sharing perspective, it's very useful to remember that to surrender, to give up your your thoughts, words, actions to God, as it were, to recognize that it isn't isn't you. So it's um, it's lovely that he. Uh, highlights that because it is a very important part in my mind in, in spiritual journey taking away the ego attachment um yeah awesome i can see why in the documentary <laughs> surrender is also quite important um facet for marriage as well <laughs> thanks for the tip you know tomorrow i'm getting my marital documents signed so you know i'll keep that in mind <laughs> Thy will be done, not mine. Thou art the doer, not I. <laughs> you have will, yeah. No, um, no, very, very important part. Yeah, it's uh, part of a, a man's journey. No, but sur surrender is actually a such a deep concept, and it's a meditation in itself. So you know how like some people can just sit and think about something for hours or you know days even. Um, surrender is that one concept that you could i think you could surrender to you know that, that stillness you could surrender to your mind surrender your mind you could there's so many different uh, meditations in in that single word um more than you know the dictionary the, dic the oxford english dictionary would probably have like eight words as a description of what for surrender is but you know in in our metaphysics the surrender is as you know as infinite as the ocean isn't it Probably going to be used in some militaristic and surrender whenever you <laughs> stop fighting. But it is, that's what it is, isn't it? Stop fighting, stop fighting this idea of, um, you know, separation. Stop uh, resisting, stop resisting to an enemy or opponent and submit to their authority. <laughs> <laughs> One, two, three, four. British, three, British seven, definition. Very, Twelve. Very admit, it's it's militaristic kind of formulation. I would say. Surrender <laughs> is when you surrender everything to Britain. Yeah, uh, everything you own. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. You, take the ego, you take the ego out, right? And then it becomes much easier to surrender. Mm. Mm. Easier yeah. said than done. Yeah, I guess mm. that's what you're surrendering, your ego. Yeah. Yes. You're I'm fasting today, so today I surrendered food. Oh, you have one. I'll have mine tomorrow. So nice. Looking forward to it. Oh. <laughs> Okay. Nice. 
All right, so let's move on from Andrew Newberg. Um, the next scene you see, you see um, uh, YSS monk meditating on like what I think is a pile of pipes. Uh, <laughs> you identified him as uh, Swami Smarananda Priyank. What do you know about him? Swami Smarananda is a very, 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 very popular monk in India in Yogada Satsang Society. And he's an eminent one as well. So he comes from a vast uh, scientific uh, and academic background. And he joined as a youth, you know, joined YSS and became a monk. And he's very eminent. So he talks on the news. He you know, gives public talks, government, you know, in schools and universities is really, really eminent. And I'd really, and he's a, he's a very senior monk as well. So he, he's, he's like on the board of directors or, you know, vice president or something like that of YSS. And um, I remember his one talk that he gave at a convocation and this CD is available. It's called Deepening Our Practice of Meditation. And it was just absolutely phenomenal. I really highly recommend that anyone that wants to deepen their meditation, which is probably all of us, we, you listen to that talk i can give a back um can we sorry you know, Frank, just can, can we link to that in yeah the description i'll, put it, I'll below. put it in the i'll put it in the talk yeah i'll put it in the um description YouTube. but let me let me uh if you if you want i can talk just a little bit about uh, um uh, just a little snippet of that talk i've actually got here so mm -hmm. he's got he relates a story so he says a person was walking in a graveyard at night it was dark, the path was not clear, and he fell into a deep ditch. He tried and tried, but could not get out. So he resigned himself to spend the night in the ditch. He sat in the corner of the ditch. A little later, another person fell also into the same ditch. <laughs> he also tried to get out, but could not do so. The first person decided to have a little fun at the expense and changed his voice into a deep level and says, I know you cannot get out tonight. The second man thought it was a ghost. He made a major effort and got out. And then <laughs> he found the motivation to scramble out of the ditch. And then he describes this, uh, he describes the explanation and he tells the story much better than I've just read out. Um, he obviously enunciates and makes it into quite a funny one as Mike was laughing there, but it's much funnier when he says it. Anyway, so he describes that, he says um, that he relates this story to our lives. He says, nobody wants to spend the night with a ghost, but we all do. The ghost of disappointment is around the corner. The ghost of disease, the ghost of misunderstanding, frustration they're all waiting why wait for a calamity to strike you to start thinking about god we start right now that is the only way we can hope to live without tension and fears lord krishna said even a little practice of this religious right will save you from dire fears so he's a very very um eminent uh, monk and uh, yeah, there's a really good picture of him meditating on pipes. What a random picture. I think it's quite, it must be, uh, you know, they must have chosen that specifically uh, because I think the idea behind it must have been to say, like, you know, you can meditate anywhere. 
mm. if I can meditate on, you know, construction, big, uh, large pipe, pipe work used in construction, you know, uh, you can meditate anywhere. Uh, and he looks, you know, head raised, he's, he's deep in concentration. Uh, it is a, it does, it's thought provoking to that, you know, that's where my mind would go. Uh, sometimes you can come up with excuses uh, as to why you shouldn't meditate, but uh, <laughs> it's, a, it's a good snapshot. He looked looked so relaxed there. He had like perfect asana there. <laughs> I it doesn't look like he's uncomfortable. He could probably do this for hours. So <laughs> yeah, I know, Mike. I've I've walked my past my bedroom when you stayed with me a few nights, and I saw you meditating in a similar position on the bed. Hey, I don't I know why. Off. I got used <laughs> to that at some point to to just um, use the my my pillow and sit on it and meditate. I don't know. Mm. I did the same, yeah. I was always impressed because I can never meditate on my bed, but you somehow were doing it with infinite ease. Sleeping at yeah. the same time is magical. <laughs> I, wherever, it was funny. Sometimes, like, you know, I, I have like a meditation corner and I meditate there often. And then sometimes I just feel like I don't want to meditate, meditate there tonight. I want to meditate on my sofa, use one of the cushions there or on my bed or... It's it's like that, I, and I say like as long as I meditate, I don't care where I meditate. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm fine. Of course, of course, it's strong within you. Yeah, but it is quite interesting to yeah. talk about places to meditate because yeah. there's the anchorage of the energy from where, where you meditate regularly, and you can go in uh, to meditation more quickly. I think that's the idea behind it, isn't it? Um, so if anybody's listening and getting into meditation, try to get that spot in the room, somewhere quiet or wherever you can do it. Try to go there repeatedly, get yeah. in a build, build and build and build. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's also about the just forming that habit and it trains your mind. So then if you enter that space, then you then associate that space with meditation. Mm -hmm. Just like, you know, we all do with when we go to work or put on our suits we would think, oh, now we're going to work. We're here in work mode and we become all professional. And similarly, you can use the same psychological tricks. And obviously yeah. there must be some energy significance as well, obviously to creating a, a vibration of energization and energy. Exactly. Mm -hmm. I, I feel like when you meditate, there's always a part of Maya that is trying to keep you from meditating. And it goes like, oh yeah, you, you, I don't know. And it's, uh, sometimes it keeps me from sitting in my meditation corner. And then I just say, <laughs> I'll meditate here. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> Screw you, Maya. <laughs> yeah, like you have to trick your mind sometimes. Nice, nice. Yeah. Uh, again, you're going to have to talk about this to throw a cotton, has to be 100% cotton feet, you know, and, and meditate upon that because it breaks the currents of Maya. Insulate right. yourself, yeah. Insulate, Insulate yourself from the from the cosmic currents, right? Yeah. From all the noise. <laughs> I hardly listen to that. bamboo in Brazil. I should probably do that more often. I, I hardly ever do that. Another dive, really. Yeah. So then you see uh, Swami Smarananda. Um, and then when Andrew Newberg is, is done talking, uh, Chidananda takes over and kind of um, connects it all, right? He talks about Kriya Yoga. He talks about the chakras as the ins as our instruments of perception in the spine that um, become receptive and we awaken them. 
And um, there's a part in the autobiography um, that I would like to read. Uh, Chris, do you mind reading that? Sorry, I don't know if you asked me a question, but my internet connection. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I'll ask, I'll, I'll read it, Chris. Yes. Uh, Mike, the first oh, sorry, one. I, I didn't hear. The, the one in the chakras card. Okay, chakras card. Yes, I can read that. Um, the Kriya Yogi mentally directs his life energy to revolve upward and downward around the six spinal centers, the medullary, cervical, dorsal, lumbar, sacral, coccygeal, plexuses which correspond to the 12 astral signs of the zodiac, the symbolic cosmic man. One half minute of revolution of energy around the sensitive spinal cord of man effects subtle progress in his evolution. That half minute of Kriya equals one year of natural spiritual unfoldment. Speaking of airplane routes, to to the infinite right it is like um when you just when you just read that and when you when you it just all starts making sense in the context of kriya yoga and in the sense of awakening the energy in the spine yeah when i first heard this it you know made it made me super excited and there is some kind of crystallizing moment to say, ah, this is why I'm here. Like, this is what, you know, this is what we come for. You know, are we not entertained? Uh, <laughs> but, you know, really, this is really genuinely like the, the, you know, the purpose, if there is a purpose to life is to get back to source. And this is such a gift and technique that we have access to. Um, again, sorry, I think I've frozen. No, you haven't. I think I froze, I froze again. Or, no, I'm back. Or you guys froze. Okay, sorry. I didn't, yeah. I didn't know what was going on. Uh, so yeah, it's it's just such a gift and technique. So when I heard this, I was like, there's beautiful mathematics to how it works. And again, you it, all the videos are frozen. So I'm, I'm going to stop talking now because I don't know if I'm actually <laughs> talking to you. So. No, it's good. Um, Guruji adds this whole other concept in there. If he compares it to the zodiac signs and then he would later go on and say that the same way the zodiac signs are our outer universe, the chakras are our inner universe. And the same way the sun, we our planet revolves around the sun, our chakras revolve around the spiritual eye. And it's like, you read this and there's so many things I, I read and my eyes get like this and I go like, mm. oh my God, I want to know all of this. Because <laughs> mm. um, it, it is very interesting. But... I, I think in the like I think we could have a whole episode just on this, just on on the chakras and awakening them. That's it. Yeah. That's special. That's special. <laughs> special. We'll, we'll yeah. never we'll never finish the awake minute by minute. <laughs> we just keep getting special. Two thousand and thirty minute sixty. <laughs> Yeah, it might also be more difficult to find a specialist on the chakras. <laughs> we could technically we could also go back as well, Chris. So for whatever yeah. reason, having a apply Schrodinger's equations. <laughs> are you are you even here, Frank? Or <laughs> yes. you're you're actually in my laptop at the same time in London. 
right. Um, and then let's go more a bit more into so obviously this this um, excerpt was from the autobiography of a yogi from the chapter the science of kriya yoga and let's go a bit more into into kriya yoga um, in the Chris do you, do you mind reading the the first section in the science of kriya yoga card so this is from the autobiography of a yogi kriya yoga is simple psychophysiological method, uh, method by which human blood is decarbonated and recharged with oxygen. The atoms of this extra oxygen are transmuted into life current to rejuvenate the brain and spinal centers. By stopping the accumulation of venous blood, the yogi is able to lessen or prevent the decay of tissues. The advanced yogi transmutes his cells into energy his energy, I hear you ask, we'll come back to that, I suppose. Um, Elijah, Jesus, Kabir, and other prophets were masters in the use of Kriya or other similar technique or a other similar technique by which they caused their bodies to materialize and dematerialize at will. Nice. So without revealing the technique, he teases it a little bit, talks about what it does. One thing that I find super interesting is that it recharges um, uh, our body with life force, but at the same time, there is a, um, a material process going on where oxygen goes into the blood. So basically the, to the recharging of energy, there's a correspondent material process where oxygen goes into our blood, stops us, our tissues from decaying. Basically we can stop aging like this. What do you think about Eternally. it? Mike, That's you're actually 60, aren't you? <laughs> just so happened to look like a 20-something-year-old man. Yes. Yeah, it's uh, absolutely phenomenal. It's, you know, you know, we mentioned before, like, how Mike, Chris was saying that some people, you know, get the benefits of, of uh, energization just through meditating. And here you... you if, if you do it really properly, then you'd get the benefits of energization just doing Kriya. And it's described here how people would get the benefits of energization just by meditating and meditating properly, I suppose. And some people accidentally stum stumble across the powerful technique and others are given it. Mm -hmm. so the connection with the breath and breathing, breathing in oxygen, the carbonating, um, process. It's been a while since I've done bi biology. Um, <laughs> you really, you really know that bit. So, um, it's, it's interesting um, because we're car carbon life forms, um, and I've heard that if you if you look at animals and the frequency of their breath, mm -hmm. and then their lifespan, uh, you know uh, how how do we sit you know are we you know heavy breathers rapid breathers you know what does that do to our heart rate what stress and effects does that have in the body you know look at babaji like i mean he's uh, some some someone an avatar uh, who has went beyond the state of of birth and death and um does he does he breathe at all i have no i, don't, I have no idea but i imagine if he does you know if he does 
know, it's a very, very, very low rate of breath. The, the heart rate's very low. Um, and so that's something practical that we can keep in mind, you know, keep an eye, keep a, you know, our awareness on the breath, you know, at, at all times, um, because it really helps stabilize our mental uh, state and emotional states. And I find multiple times if I'm feeling a little bit too hyped, feeling a little bit too, you know, whatever it might be, control the breath. And the key is, there's really cool techniques, is that simply to breathe out first. And I know we get taught a lot of things, you know, with SRF, but make sure to expel the air before breathing. Um, I, I think it's a fascinating subject. And again, we could probably spend an entire uh, hour on this. Um, but it's, yeah, there's, it's a beautiful um, exercise to do and gives you so much more control over your life. Uh, that is a very simple, overlooked, underrated aspect of living. Mm. It's incredible. I, I, I like one of the things you said about different animals having different breathing speeds. I think I read somewhere that that giant tortoise is like the slowest mm. breather we have. And that's why it reaches years. hundreds of years. I wonder if through the yugas, man's breath slows down and hence we live longer. That would be an interesting aspect of going through the yugas. Mm. Then, um, there's another um, uh, short section of the autobiography here that I want to read. And it says, the yogi arrests decay in the body by securing an additional supply of prana, life force, through quieting the actions of the lungs and heart. He also arrests mutations of growth in the body by controlling apana, the eliminating current, thus neutralizing decay and growth the yogi learns life force control, which I feel like this, this kind of uh, underscores that point you just made, that you keep, you keep healthy, stable. Um, and um, the, the last section that we have here, Priyank, do you want to read that? Because yeah, sure. that, that underscores another point. 1,000 Kriyas practiced in eight and a half hours gives the yogi in one day the equivalent of 1,000 years of natural evolution, 365,000 years of evolution in one year. In three years, a Kriya Yogi can thus accomplish by intelligent self-effort the same result that nature brings to pass in a million years. The Kriya shortcut, of course, can only be taken by deeply developed Yogis with the guidance of a Guru, such yogis have carefully prepared their body and brain to withstand the power generated by intensive practice. Amazing. Yeah, so I love the numbers that you have in there, that you can just say, if you practice one Kriya correctly, you can, you already have so and so many uh, times of natural evolution and you can just speed up your evolution so tremendously so it's a, a great motivation to practice chris was uh, intense in his practice and he's decided yeah. to chris take, went into samadhi so uh, he take up. samadhi yeah that's right <laughs> <laughs> um and, and interesting some words that um uh, andrew newberg used are in there aren't they intensity yeah i'm sure surrenders in there somewhere Yes. So I think this, this wraps up 
our minute pretty well, Priyank. Is there, is there anything you want to add still? Nope, I think that's good. It's been a good minute, uh, scientific discussion. The second of scientific discussion compared to the one we had uh, with uh, Anita Goel. Nice. Yeah, uh, Chris is back. Chris joined us again. Um, we were just about to wrap up the minute. Is there anything you want to add? Um, no, I, th I think, uh, uh, you know, my, my recap, my thinking on, on this minute is uh, it, there's such a depth uh, of, of knowledge that we can go into. And it just is, is uh, what we've said before is, uh, you know, whenever you pick apart this documentary minute by minute, you could probably make, you know, dozens of other documentaries just on the back of it. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and this is just a super interesting one and uh, inspires me to, you know, uh, double down on my energization techniques and <laughs> um uh, and yeah it's beautiful so nothing more to add for me but i really enjoyed it perfect all right then i thank you guys and thank you very much for minute 34 Jai Jai Guru. Guru. Jai Guru.